Welcome to the Jacket Around Show, hosted by singer-songwriter and two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner, Jack Ingram. Here's a one-minute preview of episode 21, followed by a brief introduction of today's guest, artist, author, and songwriter, Darden Smith. Becoming aware of you as a musician before we were friends, mm -hmm. and then becoming friends with you. The friend thing. We're working on it. I think we'll get back there. <laughs> <laughs> if if you really try. I, okay, well, right. okay. So Western Skies, there's an album and a book and a series of lithographs. I was I didn't set out to make a record. I didn't set out to write a book. What I set out to do, it was like, you know, 2020. I just wanted to write some songs. So I started writing songs. I was doing these drives back and forth to Arizona. I was still doing stuff with songwriting with soldiers. Mm -hmm. And I found this Polaroid camera in the garage. I just started taking pictures. It was just something to do. And I fell in love with it. And then I was writing these essays. The shit you were interested just in at the time. Just shit I was interested, man. And I was just like going, how do I take a better picture? How do I make drawings around this? How do I write songs? The Jacking Around podcast is brought to you by Lone Star Dry Goods, a collection of handcrafted quality goods with a truly unique Americana vibe. Visit the world headquarters in the heart of downtown Abilene, Texas and Willow Park, Texas near Fort Worth. And visit LoneStarDryGoods.com for more information. Today's guest, Darden Smith, has released 15 records, penned a symphony, scored works for theater and dance, authored books, exhibited works of visual art, and co-founded the nonprofit Songwriting with Soldiers program. During the pandemic, Darden also helped launch Frontline Songs, which connected musicians and healthcare workers to support them in telling their stories and healing their trauma. Most recently, Darden released a multimedia project, Western Skies. Rodney Krause said it the best, quote, Western Skies is a near-perfect multimedia balancing act performed by poet, essayist, photographer, singer, and songwriter Darden Smith. Before we get started, visit jackandroundshow.com or check the show notes for more information. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please let us know by hitting that like button, subscribing, and giving us a big old five-star review. Here's episode 21. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome to the stage, the folk singer's folk singer. <laughs> That's not what I was hoping for. The folk singer's rock folk singer, Darden Smith. Let's jack around. Yeah, I'm super busy. Can we make this fast? I mean, oh yeah, we can make it real fast. I'm sure. You, I'm sure you'll make it really fast. <laughs> yeah, I won't say much. I'll turn this off though. I get so many calls. Sell, buy, buy, sell. No, free, free, more free. <laughs> yeah. Can you? Can you? Can, can you? Will can you, you? Can you? Will you? Yeah. Can if we send you this? Let me turn this off. Jack, it's great to see you. No, I'm the host. I got a few questions I'd like to ask you. I'm the host. No, no, no. I came a long way. That's the camera. Yeah. Is Jack your real name or is it Jackson, Jacob? It's well, Jack. Well, is it Weldon and you just decided to go with Jack? It's you, Jack. It's Jack? Yeah. My grandfather's name was Jack. <clears throat> really? My other grandfather's name was Owen. Could have, should have gone for that, man. I love Owen. Owen, yeah. But Jack's suited me well. I, one of my grandfather's names is Earl. It's, it's hard to beat Earl, but the other one's name is Roper. Roper, that's a good Could you have pulled name. off Roper? I don't think I could have, but it's a good name anyway. <laughs> I would have pulled off Roper. You could have pulled off Roper. <laughs> Roper, what a great name, man. Roper. My youngest son is named Hudson. And the reason he's named Hudson is because I was looking in the name book. Ah, uh, what a wimp. Chill out. A it was name, my third. A name book. Look, dude, it was the third kid. 
after the, after the second kid, you get a little lazy. Like, you, you're tired. Yeah. So I was looking in the book, and I saw HUD. HUD is good. Okay, so you'll love this. In a, in a fraction of a, In a fraction, no. In a fraction of a second, I had known my wife long enough at that point to go, HUD, that's badass. But she ain't going to go for she it. She ain't going for that. Yeah. And so. You could shorten it later. So I said, how about Hudson? She goes, that's great. I go, boom. Yeah. Got her again. (laughs) (laughs) No, she got you. Yeah, yeah, she got you. And now we call him Hudson. We don't ever call him HUD. And when I call him HUD, he goes like, my name's not HUD. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, yeah. Here we are. TikTok. Hey, man. So I've been a fan of yours since I was a fan of anybody's. Like, it's funny to me to think about, uh, I was thinking about talking to you and having you on here and being like, hey, man, we've talked about it before, but there are certain, there are, there are, there are um, moments in somebody's life where you make decisions that affect your life that really do affect your life that like you go "Mm, i want to do it's like a before and after moment yeah it's it's a real moment where you go oh fuck i could maybe i could do that Mm -hmm. and when i i was in Stuart whitehead this guy this buddy of mine his name Stuart whitehead we we had uh we were Counselors at a camp, which I want to get back to later. But anyway, yeah, but Camp Longhorn, <laughs> and we had a twelve-hour off day where you where you get off at noon, and you don't have to come back to camp until twelve thirty. You don't have to come back to work till midnight. Until midnight. Wow. And so, and we went down to the drag for I think whatever our plans were didn't work out. <laughs> you know, yeah, like we were going to go to somebody's house or whatever, but that didn't work out. And so we went down. Did you go to Inner Sanctum? No, we went to um, Antone's Records. Oh, right. Right across the, the street from Antone's. Yeah, the right. old Antone's. Yeah, right. And the old Antone's was not there anymore. It had already moved yeah. to, where it, to where it was. But the record store was still there. And he was so funny because he really believed that CDs were indestructible. Remember when that was the yeah, and yeah. so like there were CDs. He was a huge music fan, and CDs were all over his car. He didn't realize they could scratch. Yeah, no, right. they were unscratchable. <clears throat> right. So we walked in there, and for whatever reason, I picked up your record with a Pierce Paul Pierce Piercy, yeah, and Roland Dooney in that in that car, right? Mm-hmm. And y'all were like looking like you're driving somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> So it was so old school, bad, but beautiful all at the same time. It was great. That Jim McGuire took that picture. Yeah. yeah. Senior McGuire. Senior McGuire. And so I remember, I took a ride on first, left on wide open, back to my old neighborhood. And I just go, you can write about anything. You can write about anything. (laughs) You can. That's the cool You can write about anything. And And I remember, I wasn't even playing music then. Were you play? You weren't even a guitar player or anything. Not really. No, I. I think I'm. I probably 
had some chords or right. something. But in my mind, that was a moment for me. I mean, it, it really is why we're such good friends oh, well, for me. Like yeah. I'm, I'm dictating this. Right. <clears throat> because it was so important to me. Like, that's really cool. I, I heard some dude singing about nothing that turned into something. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> all, like, all songs are that way. You know, I remember the time that I, for me, the moment when I went, first off, thank you. It's very flattering. And I, I, it's really cool. It was a long time ago, and that record, was, record was, came out in nineteen. I think record came out in nineteen eighty-eight. <clears throat> you were like seven at the time, so it was you know <laughs> now, seventeen. Seventeen, and uh, but I, there was a night when I was uh, sixteen years old. I was grounded. I remember that. I I, I had a really rough high school time, and yeah. And, what is uh, that? What do you mean? The really rough well, high school you time. In, were you into drugs or? Yeah, I was a, a bad bad alcohol and drug problem in high school. And in uh, Brenham. No, this was when I lived in Humble, Texas. So we, I was born in Brenham. Nineteen sixty. Yeah, fifty nine. I lived up on you know Kingwood. You went Kingwood. I lived in Kingwood. Yeah. And you were a little the unbearable thicket, like all. <laughs> <You're, and>, uh, <laughs> it's like the woodlands. Yeah, no, it's not like as the, good. Yeah, it's like the woodland with curbs. <laughs> it's like the woodlands only not as well planned yeah, out. Right. And uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, but yeah, it was it was a crazy time for me. And uh, but it was also when I was discovering music, and I was discovering I wanted to get out of my head somewhere. And music and drugs were this thing that I did. And uh, I was already writing songs. I started writing songs when I was ten. But I remember being grounded and hanging out uh, on a Friday or Saturday night, and my, it was me and my dad, and uh, watching Austin City Limits, and Guy was on there. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> we're watching it, and I knew all the songs, and everybody I was a total Guy Clark fan. My dad didn't. So uh, you were a Guy Clark fan yeah. as a young teenager without yeah, in 16. the assistance of your father? No, my, I grew up in How'd a house. How'd you find I, Guy? I grew up in a house with no music. My brother, um, my brother brought home Viva Terlingua. When I was probably in the sixth grade, he was a couple years older than me. He was three years older than me. And I fell in love with that record. And from that, it was Desperados. And that led me to Guy Clark. And then there was the radio station, KLOL in Houston. Uh, that was 100.1. 101.1, yeah. But that was total rock. Uh, not at that time. This was before your era, Jack. You were still in, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was KLOL had the skull. Yeah, well, they had, yeah, and they had, they, but it was rock. But they also <clears throat> would play, when I, this would have been in 1977 or 8. And at that time, they would play everything from Almond Brothers to Dylan to Towns. Oh, rock, wow. You know, Leonard Skinnerd, ZZ Top, everything, a rock. But then they also leaned over towards the Southern thing. And that, so you'd hear Willie on there. But then they had this show on Sundays called Country Sunday. And that was where, you know, two hours on Sunday, they played all this amazing Texas, kind of B.W. Stevenson, all this stuff. Yeah. And, wow. uh, but I remember, so I was sitting there watching Austin City Limits with my dad. And my dad's whole thing was um, when we talked about work as a kid, he would say, well, when you think about work, think about what you would do if you didn't have to work. And then think about how to get paid to do that. Oh, I love your dad. Yeah, which is cool. So, and he was told that by a guy that worked on the farm that he grew up on, who was actually African American, who was the son of a slave, you know. So this guy who was basically <laughs> so, basically living wow on my dad's sharecropper, living on my dad's farm, helping her out, basically changed my life. 
you know, which is cool. So anyway, we're sitting there watching and, you know, I'd wanted to do different things. I said, I want to be a golfer. I want to be a musician. I want to be, you know, I wanted to be a bass fisherman at one point. Um, but my dad goes, you see that guy in the middle of the stage? I said, yeah. And he goes, I bet he's getting paid. I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, look at all that gear and all those other people. Somebody's getting paid. I bet it's the guy in the middle. <laughs> I was like, where is your dad? Is he passed I, away? No, my dad, he's living in Dallas. He works. He still works every day. Oh, I want to talk to him. He's fantastic. He works. He works at Jason Stelly. Works every day. I want to talk ninety to years old. He's turning man. ninety this year. He's fantastic. So, he, but it was he, he was, looked at the stage. Was like he goes, the guy in the, in the middle, middle. The guy in the middle. He's getting paid. That's exactly. That's that's it. That's right up that's our totally, alley. It's like, and, hey man, um, somebody's getting paid. Somebody, here. Well, I didn't even know that you could get paid to play music. I, it had never. I'd never connected those dots. After that, I was like, okay, I want to be a songwriter. I was already writing songs, but this is what I want to do. And that was it. It was like, you know, I I, I drifted. How did you from learn that. you were good at it? Uh, I got a my like my girlfriend and sophomore. I tell you what happened is like the first time a song came to me that was uh, like bigger than it was bigger than me. It was like a song that landed on me, right? Something that you know, something feels that was like, like whoa, yeah. I didn't even have to think about it. It was a song called Johnny's Song. I wrote it in I was a sophomore in high school. And I wrote this song, sophomore, maybe junior, but more likely sophomore. I wrote it. It was about a Vietnam vet. You know, it's probably, I was probably copping Sam Stone, you know, Sam John Price. Stone. Yeah. I was probably Sam like Holmes. riffing on that thing. Yeah, man. But it was bigger than me. It like landed. It was like better than my craft. <laughs> it was better than your the skills. Song, the song was better than me. It was like, yeah. wow. And uh, played it for my girlfriend. <clears throat> And I always love these, like Sam Stone, for those of you taking notes. Yeah. Is one of the best. It's it's incredible, but it's a bit of greatest veteran song written about veterans. It's not an anti-war song. It's it's just more about yeah. reality. What of, that is. Yeah. And it's by John Prine, so check it out. Yeah. And um, but I remember her telling me at school the next day, we were standing in front of our lockers at school, and she said, Don't play that song for anybody. I was like, why? She goes, It'll scare them, and the world's not ready for that. And I was like, I'm down with this. <laughs> like, boom. I, if I made her freaked out, this is good. Yeah. I'm doing – I'm yeah. going If you make anybody freak I'm out. I'm going for more of that. So that, that's the first time I went, I think maybe I've got something. That's here. funny you say that because I remember reading – I think Willie Nelson said, if nobody hates your song, yeah, there's a real good chance nobody's going to love it. Yeah. It's the same kind of vibe, like, hey, don't play that for anybody it's because it's not good. And what it was is she was afraid of, I think she was afraid of, like, I don't know, there's a lot of people want to keep you down. Well, I don't people. think she want to keep you down. I think I bet or she just she, didn't understand. She's just really com compassionate. Maybe. <laughs> and like, man. Don't do that. Normally. <laughs> yeah, don't be compassionate. Don't do that. <laughs> But that is a funny thing of, of how people don't want you to be your most raw self because it would scare people, and it does scare. Yeah, people. Yeah, it does scare people. I think people also you're, um, you you you're scary. And it's my glasses. It's just no, my your glasses are really <laughs> inviting. <laughs> your glasses are inviting. <laughs> but 
that's part of why our relationship has sustained over the past, what, 10, 15 years? I met you in the late, I met you, I first met, the first time I was aware of you was at Las Manitas in Austin. It was probably in the 90s, early 90s. You were sitting at the counter eating lunch. I remember looking at you going, that's Jack Ingram. And then there was a um, some event at the top of the, one of the TV stations here in the '90s again, and you were there. You had you were you were uh, you were very rock starry. You intimidated me. That's funny, man. And you didn't know that how much I loved you. <clears throat> yeah, I know because you were surrounded by girls, and so you just pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting, like that whole concept of of how scary it is to be to take yourself out onto the edge where if somebody says like to me, if somebody says don't do that, it's scary or it's intimidating. Then my, my reaction is, Oh, let's go. We're onto something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so it took me a long, it took, to well, it took me a long time to get comfortable with that because I was, um, I was, it just was different. It was weird for me. I, I didn't grow up in an, in like a family. I grew up a great family. I had a great, you know, totally like idyllic kind of childhood. And then high school was, I, I don't remember a lot of it, but it was great. <laughs> it was good fun. And uh, so I, were you like a, were you like a pothead? Yeah, that and, and yeah, alcohol like, and, and everything else. Everything just, were you, were you, um, were you disassociated with, your life or were you involved in it? Oh, and I was totally involved. I was totally functioning. So you were in it. Oh yeah. And having a ball. I had a blast. Yeah. <laughs> totally That's fun. And work for myself. I had my work for myself. So I had a lot of cash and I spent it all. It was fantastic. It was great. And, um, but, um, but no, I just didn't, I wasn't the edge for me was dangerous. I knew it was dangerous because it almost took me out Took a couple of friends out. You know, and it was like, so I, it took me a long time to equate, like get comfortable with a, a healthy way to an artistic and creative edge. Yeah. And going to that. I knew the other edge. Yeah. And I'm I didn't, get, I'm I didn't just want, getting there. I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go to the unhealthy edge. I wanted to go to the artistic edge. And it took me a long time. And I think I got, you know, I was in here playing shows and stuff in Austin and tried doing some traveling. I put a record out, an indie record on my own label. And uh, I learned, don't do that. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, uh, and then got signed, I think way early, like early before I got signed before I really had, um, I knew who I was. Yeah, man. And that was just a lucky break. And Did you get signed on the on the heels of <clears throat> the great sincerity scare? Lyle and Lyle and, and Steve Nancy Earl and, and, and Steve. And who? Katie Lang. Katie Lang. So you got signed Nancy on the fact like, <clears throat> oh, here's a dude who's yeah. obviously going to be a true artist. Yeah, that must have been weird because it was weird, and and it was signed to a Nashville. <clears throat> so I got discovered in, you know, discovered. I it was discovered in in uh, L.A. I had a gig. Uh, I'd, my first record was out, and a guy from a publishing company came to see me play. He'd read about me in the L.A. Weekly, and he came, and there were literally there were seven people in the room. Uh, it was a bill with Chip and Tony Kinman. And from uh, they were in the band with Alejandro, the tr uh, not True Believers, Rank and File. I think it was just Tony Kinman, actually. And then uh, a couple of other people. 
and me. And it was just like, you know, nobody was in the club, the anti-club. But a guy from a publishing company and his wife were there. And his wife said, you should sign him. He walked back. We had dinner. They offered me a publishing deal. That led to me doing some demos with Ray Benson. Ray got me a record deal with Epic in Nashville. And so then I was in Nashville. <clears throat> and I never imagined that happening. And then it was like, okay. Oh, you didn't? No, I kind of always wanted uh, you think you'd be LA. New York or LA? I wanted LA and New York kind of thing. But, uh, and then, but. <clears throat> but you've never it been was fun. fun. No, it was, I was ish, you know, ish. That's been my problem. That's been my problem, Jacket. I've always been ish. No, I get it. <laughs> but like, what were your, at that time, what what were the bands you thought? Oh, Jackson of? Brown. If I can do that, I can do If I do could this. do that, Jackson Brown. And, uh, you know, I loved. Just yeah. one, Jackson uh, Brown? No, or I was really it? dug what Lyle did. All right. I really dug that. And uh, was, was Lyle out of LA? No, he was here. He was, oh, he was signed in Nashville. Yeah. You know, Curb. And uh, <clears throat> I guess that, and, and I was probably listening to, I was uh, actually, by the time I got signed, I was way into English stuff, Nick Lowe and Elvis Costello and the Pretenders. And, um, but anyway, I had this record deal. It was great, yeah. but it took me a long time to get comfortable with that even. And, and, and then I was not really welcomed in, I wasn't really a part of the whole Nashville scene. No. At all. Because right about the time I got signed, they realized that no one was selling records. Well, so right about the time really, you got signed, it sounds like it was Dwight Yoakam. <clears throat> yeah. And I did and a lot of Mark. shows with Dwight. You know, I did a lot of shows with Dwight. The O'Kanes. Did a lot of shows with the O'Kanes. That would... That, that would make cool. sense. That was cool. That was very cool, actually. They were they were amazing. Chestnut? No, I never did that. I never did those shows. I did shows with the Oak Ridge Boys. That probably didn't work out that well. You know, it was amazing. <laughs> one of the scary one of the scariest things I ever saw was we I opened up. I did a lot of shows from like it seems like they would Phoenix, love you. Phoenix and South South Southern California. We did shows and these uh, performing arts centers and stuff, but. Uh, after my show, after my set, I walked backstage and the Oak Ridge Boys were in their dressing room warming up, acoustic, just singing mm -hmm. in a circle. It was one of the most musically Killer. on fire things I have ever seen <laughs> in my life. They were doing old gospel songs and it was on, like they would never sing this song on stage. It was this Southern- Right, and why gospel. not? It was, it was incredible. They were, it was like this thing and you realize, there's some musical magicians out here. Yeah, man. That's the thing about guys like that. Like what they have <clears throat> to do night to night is different than what they is do. so different than yeah. Than really, man, like the true inspiring people they are. Yeah. That that <clears throat> that always got me. Hey man, can I have a drink of water? Yeah. It, that always got me is like What you see backstage is what you should see on stage. Yeah, yeah. And the, there are then then <laughs> there are people that you you are around, and what you see backstage is what you see on stage. That's <clears throat> that's what you're going for. Yeah. The first tour I ever did was uh, Emmy. So Emmy Lou, she's uh, backstage on whole stage. Thing. It's a real thing. It was it was like it's amazing. When it was a, I mean, I'd never played for more than a hundred people. And yeah, I'm opening for Emmy Lou in Vancouver. You know, we're gonna go across Canada. It was terrifying. I was so bad. I sucked, man. Why'd you suck? I didn't know how to perform. Were you I didn't ready to, for the moment. <clears throat> I didn't know how to project in front of 2,500 people in a room. And 
Did uh, you do stuff as a kid? No, uh, you know, little gigs here and there. And then no, like, I mean, like, so I guess what I'm asking is, so I remember Thank you. as a kid, they would always get me to, mm. to give the, the award to the teacher of the year. No. Or whatever, like, we're, you start to learn without even knowing you're learning how to oh, perform. when you're up here. You got to be bigger than yourself. <laughs> I did. I did do shows, and I did had a couple of formative sort of performance experiences when I was in high school. There, I was like, okay, I, this is awesome. You know, got kicked out of school for one. That was great. That was when this is this is the shit. This is the shit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but you get around those people, and you realize, okay, it's possible to be real. But you have to. In order to be real, you have to know who you are. Like Emmy, uh, watching Emmy Lou, Bonnie Raitt was another one. You see Bonnie, it's like, she's just real. And then there was people that I opened up for and I was around. They were so obviously um, uh, a caricature. Yeah, man. And even though they're amazingly talented, it's this sort of caricature thing and they can't let the guard down. And, you know, um, and they're like, then they become a trap. They become trapped in inside of that thing. And you see, you know, like I did shows with Roseanne. I did all of King's record shop tour. I did the whole Was tour. she trapped? She was amazing. She was no, awesome. She's great. No, she was fantastic. Yes. Rodney Crowell was the same way. It was great. I did Roseanne's tour and then did Rodney's thing, and it was incredible. And uh, so one of the most amazing people I've ever worked with was Joan Baez. I really? Toured, I toured Europe with Joan Baez. Um, and it's Joan Baez, man. It's like, you know, she's sort of discounted over here in some ways, but over there she's like a queen she's like okay so excuse big, my ignorance. and she was excuse my ignorance Joni mitchell there's two different people is a blonde yes joan Baez was uh, Joni mitchell's blue <clears throat> no jo Joni mitchell sang blue yeah joan Baez. night they drove old dixie down okay but she was also bob dylan's muse Right. She was and this massive uh, civil rights person over there. It's really like the whole folk tradition thing. Anyway, Joan Baez, she's probably the one of the biggest, one of the biggest international stars I've ever like kind of worked with. And I watched Put a picture her up. And I watched her During be and I watched her be uh, I, I watched her just be hilarious. She was funny off stage. She was just as she was hilarious, and on stage she was really honest and real. And I was like, okay, that's. People, you may not get the headline, but you have this uh, life that is you can build around what you do and what you are. You know, and that's what that's what I want. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it makes sense because it's what you've gotten. It's what you like. It's it's been interesting for me to watch your career over the last thirty years, and and you know, becoming aware of you as a musician before we were friends mm -hmm. and then becoming friends with you. The friend thing. We're working on it. I think we'll get back there. <laughs> if, if you really try. I, okay. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if I see that you really want it. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny, man. Like to think of you thinking of all that in a, in a, speculative or um well what's the word in a way that has steps 
A plus B equals C. Yeah, equals I, I had. I, I, I know what you. I think I know what you mean. And there were times when I did have it all mapped out. And what, strategic. Yeah, strategic. So I was very strategic uh, early. You know, when I had record deals, I was in Columbia, and because I went from Nashville to LA to New York, and you know, and I was very strategic till it all fell apart. And then it, it, all my strategy was useless because I didn't have a record deal. And then I went off and I had, you know, I got divorced and life fell apart and, you know, was this massive tumble, which made me rethink all my strategy and which made me for many, for about, I'd say almost a decade, I floated without strategy. I just kind of did things here and there, you know, no management. At one point I didn't have an agent. It was, I just floated and I couldn't figure out what to do. And, and then, uh, that, that, what's that? That doesn't sound familiar. No, no, it was terrifying. And freaky and free, and and you realize that you need structure around. I need structure around. I need some structure. Yeah. And I didn't know how to create it myself in the music thing. Uh, and only probably when I turned sort of around 40 did I kind of get it together again, or early 40s, get it together again with a structure. And what I realized with that is that I, I could have a structure that, was based on what I wanted. Yeah. And that was where I, I had these these role models such as like a Joan Baez or a, a Bonnie Raitt or, you know, I don't know Bonnie Raitt very well, just a couple of shows, but these these role models of people who did it their way. And it's different than the sort of, there. you have to have enough notoriety to do your thing, mm -hmm. but not so much that you're trapped. <laughs> yeah, you have, enough, you have to have enough notoriety to be noticed. Yeah. And to get in the room. But you didn't. Really, didn't, man. Didn't have enough notoriety? Well, no. My, it's funny that you're having this second act now, or third act, Thank whatever God. this is. <clears throat> because, I mean, I knew who you were. And yeah. I recognized what that was. And because it was in my complete wheelhouse of like, how do you make something out of nothing? Right. And become this thing but like that first record it hit my radar by happenstance mm -hmm. but it's not like you were on no. johnny carson or i did it twice oh fuck me then well no but uh did you really yeah yeah I during that I, time I, no i did it in 93 after little victories and then i did it in 94 what did little victory like that came out in 93 so <clears throat> that had loving that? that had loving arms on it. Okay, the song "Loving Arms," which was a top ten, top ten pop hit, uh, top ten AC, and AAA, top ten AAA, top ten VH1 video, all that kind of thing. Hey man, you don't have to brag. No, I'm not bragging. I'm just stating that <laughs> you can chill so out I, a little. I bit just wanted. To, I just wanted to. <clears throat> I got a record nominated for a Grammy. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I, but I haven't really been okay, yelling at you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice pin though. Uh, but uh, no. Uh, but then I did it. Then I did it. Uh, after that, I, did it. I played uh, with Stevie Nicks on the Tonight Show. Yeah, you hung with Tony Bennett. It was like I did that's, these things. That's, that's grabbing the brass and, ring. And it's possible to have those. And not not somehow puncture through. Yeah, what into is a that, man? Thing. I think it's because um, like, I have dealt with that, right? Like you have these things, and you go, "This should, is what you're supposed to do." Right. And when you do this, this will happen. This reaction happens. Yeah, you should have gone into the accounting business or the legal <laughs> business because that it's a more structured thing. Our business, 
the undefinable is the um the undefinable which is is it's charisma luck all the pieces line you have up charisma I have, I have charisma. charisma i have a thing and um, we're lucky oh totally i'm i'm the, like i feel like i'm the luckiest dude on the <laughs> yeah, planet so i'm always like i remember walking out of a hotel room after doing conan and going yeah. Get ready when you walk out, because it's going to happen. Did it happen? <laughs> Fuck no. No, no, it didn't happen. And you go, where's everybody? Yeah, no. And uh, yeah, I, I, um, I, that sort of what happened uh, for me, the, the striving for that notoriety and that's the striving for the, uh, <clears throat> uh, I guess, f- fame thing. Uh, which is a part of it. It's a very useful. I had to learn that fame is a useful tool. It's not the end. It's a use, very yeah. useful mechanism. But it also it was killing me. Uh, and it's not that I turned away from it or whatever. You know, I had take it. It I'd becomes take it. the cocaine of yeah, it, the whole and, deal. And it's not that I. And I recognize, like, if I, I also think if someone's supposed to be famous, they will be. It will find a way, and because people love to say, "Man." You should have. You could have. Well, it's like well, I had more chances than like ninety eight percent of the people. Ninety nine. It just wouldn't. Okay, ninety nine. And uh, but it's like, it's cool. I now I see it. You know, I'm turning sixty. It's cool because I have a life, and I still I'm I've, you know I'm musical and everything. And if it's supposed to be, it'd be. I had every shot, and for some reason, it didn't work in that way. It worked in the way that's right for me and my life. And yeah. I think it's what I'm supposed to learn as well. I think we're not put here, we're put here to learn things. And this, what we do in our life is, is like the way our life is, <clears throat> it's kind of what we do while we're on the road to learning these things. It's not what we do, it's not that, the point is not that. The point is to, to learn these things and evolve. Like the way I describe it is, uh, life is what we do while we're trying to make it better. <laughs> yeah man like we're just trying to make it better we're trying to make ourselves or our situation or yeah whatever. it's like a while you're trying to make it better yeah there's this always thing. coming up there's behind thing. you yeah and if you don't learn it first time it'll come back and <laughs> kick you down until you learn it so anyway um it was an interesting by the way you're not waxing poetic man that that no. really is great <clears throat> no i think it, i think it's the point of i had a couple of really interesting sort of moments the before and after moments that I mean, we've talked about this before, but one was I met Tony Bennett, okay? And I hung out with Tony Bennett for a night, just one night, just like 30, 45 minutes in a dressing room. And he said to me in that dressing room, do what you do. And he looked me square in the eye, man, because I was like the young, I was introduced as the young artist, you know, which I was compared to him. And um, he looked me square in the eye and he goes, do what you do. If it's going to be big, it'll be big. He goes, and it it falls apart and you keep doing what you do and it will come back if it's supposed to. Yeah. That was profound. And I was like, that was before I lost my record deal at Columbia. And so I had, I didn't really have any context for really what he was saying. It only made sense about five to 10 years later. But then I also had another moment. Um, I did this dance theater production uh, that was based on Buckminster Fuller's with these choreographers. Anyway, we went and had, we went and had a meeting with Buckminster Fuller. Who, do you know who Buckminster Fuller no. was? He was a thinker and architect and all this kind of stuff. He invented the geodesic dome. Okay. Anyway, his daughter, we had this meeting with his daughter. We're going to give get, you a minute 
to get to Google the geodesic dome. Fuck Mr. Fuller, look it up. You won't understand a word of it. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, we're gonna give you a couple minutes. But his daughter was the head uh, head of the dance at UCLA, Mm -hmm. and very art world thing. The meeting was in LA, and and she said to me and the other the choreographers who were there, she said, "Do you know what the meaning of a working artist is?" And we all were like, "Uh, "An artist that works." She goes, "No, someone who has a thirty or forty year career." That is a working artist. She goes, and if you better, if you're going to be a working artist, you better learn how to play the game. And the choreographers were going, well, they went like, what? And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, if you paint, you better sell some paintings. Yeah. If you sing, sing, write songs, you need to have a way to get them out there. You have to eat. You have to have a place to work. You have to have a, if you have a family, you have to feed them and house them. And so do that. You can do this other thing too. That was a profound, for one thing, Tony Bennett is telling me, do what you do. Mm -hmm. There's this other woman who was 75, been around. She's saying, it's not, it's not this short run thing, like real people, real artists, Stick around for a long time. A long, a long time. time. That's when you get texture and context, and that's when, you know, I mean, then you become Rodney Crowell, <laughs> which is like the best records he's ever made. The last ten to fifteen. Yeah, you years. have to you have to create the space to where you can ride, and where you can fill it. And that's that became my goal. It's like, okay, how do I hang in there and keep working long enough to get to this, you know, this next evolution, which you never know what it is. This is this is the part of the conversation that I, that I, that's why I, we talk late at night. Mm-hmm. Just, no, we talk because you call me. But anyway, I call you. Trust me, I'm usually sleeping. Anyway, I don't, I don't call a lot of people. It's always good to hear from you. <laughs> it's always good to hear from you. Well, well, no. my point is, there's a reason I call you. Yeah, is because I really do enjoy your perspective. I really love your perspective on on just what it means to be this to do what we do and and have all these hang-ups that we have as far as how many records did you sell how mm-hmm. many all the thing all the outward signs of success the markers yeah and they're and they are great they're, markers and they're real well and they 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 translate into opportunity yeah and so my you- whole deal has always been if i don't have those markers no one's going to ask me to do this anymore. Right. <laughs> I, remember, so, I remember seeing Jerry Jeff, like, you know, sort of, this has been the 80s, maybe mid to late 80s. And he it was not like the golden years of his career. It was the cocaine years. <clears throat> right. But he was, um, he made this ridiculously beautiful living. He had a great income, not only because of Mr. Bojangles, but he had this performance thing. And he was completely off the map. Off the radar. He was off the radar right. of most people. Meanwhile, he had this, like, you know, he had a jet, <laughs> you know. And I was going, that's the t- that's it right there. That, in some ways, that's it. I don't want the some of the accoutrements of Jerry Jeff's lifestyle. But uh, uh, so how do you do that? And, and to settle, to rise up and then settle back into that thing. My, I had an ex-manager used to call it the pro-am circuit. What do you want to do? You want to make it to the pro-am circuit. Where you're invited to all, you get to play with everybody. It's cool. You make a great living. It's cool. You get to do your thing and you can push it as far as you want to push it. But that's what you want to, you want to push, get through there until you make it to that. So, yeah. So what are you doing now, man? Like, so from the time that you were 
signed, going to be the next big thing a couple times. <laughs> We've all been through that. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then that didn't work. And then you had your, your years where you were like, what the fuck? Yeah. And, and how do you land to now while you're making, you're, you're writing books that my mom... This is called comedic timing. Yeah, right. Timing, timing is everything. Well, this is why we're in show business. Boom. Western skies. It, it makes more sense if I do it. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to sign that? You want me to sign it? If I can I, keep I, it. I'll sign it to you. Yeah. I mean, I'd I'd sign this to somebody else. I'll scratch their name out. Is that cool? That's fine. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll sign it. Later. No, but how do you... No, sign it right now. <laughs> I'll sign it right now. God damn. Copy in the house. Huh? Yeah. 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 Hey, man, I just got these... I'll up. put it right next to the song I wrote with Guy Clark. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. On top of it, right? <laughs> yeah. So it stays flat. So how do no, you... No, honestly, like, how do you parlay this this thing that was supposed to be I mean, I'm assuming I can be like permission to speak freely. Yeah, man, you can say whatever you want. It's your show. You can edit this, right? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But this whole thing where you were gonna like Lyle Lovett got signed, then Darden Smith got signed, and it was gonna be this thing, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen in the way that I thought it was gonna happen. Okay, so yeah, and. I can say the same thing. Yeah. But then literally 30 years later, mm, 25, 30, 20? Yeah. Uh, Little Victories came, well, the first record came out in 88. Little Victories came out in 92. So okay. So I'm talking about 92 to 30 years. 30 yeah. Years. 30 years. Mm -hmm. Fuck. It's okay. <laughs> You've aged well. Yeah, thanks. Like that thanks. bald spot's... Hey, way in the back. Hey, you I don't, don't see that hey, unless you know you're bending over. Loud and proud Duke. I don't have a cap on. <laughs> hey, I don't need a cap. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> actually, you do. Anyway. <laughs> but what I'm saying is this thing that you've grown into mm -hmm. of writing books, doing photos, doing, doing drawings. Mm-hmm. Do you call them paintings? Uh, I do paintings, but uh, to me, everything Do you is, do paintings? Yeah, I paint as well. The sketching. Sketching and then How I good are you? Tell me that. How good are you? I have a thing. I have a thing. Uh, I'm a water. I like watercolor. I've never really worked with anything else but watercolor. And uh, I like it. I love it. I love it. It's funny I, to me because the paintings and the sketchings are interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Like I love I think them. I, have a th I have a thing. I'm not But skilled. you don't have to be. No, yeah. Is painting like songwriting? Like you don't have to be technically great. You just have what, to be interested. What you have to do is you have to put in time. It's like any other craft. You have to have uh, something to, you have to see something first. The first part of drawing is seeing. <laughs> Just like the first part of songwriting is seeing. And it's listening. So you have to basically be awake and aware and be on the lookout. Mm -hmm. Once you're on the lookout and you have a craft that you kind of dig, like songwriting, drawing, whatever, you're going to see more of that stuff. And then it's about spending the time. You know, I've been drawing for, I started drawing again from when I was a kid, I started drawing when I was 30. So I drew for 20 years before I ever, or more than that, uh, tw 25 years before I ever showed anybody my drawings. And 
What was that like when you first? Oh, I sucked. It was terrible. It but was what like, did they think? What did the people you the, well, people kind of dug it, but they laughed at me. <clears throat> you know, people go, "Oh, that's like it's cute. Kinda funky. Yeah, it's kind of cute. That's kind of cute, you know." And then, uh, but Bale Allen was the first person that went. Yeah, that's we're going to do a show. And I was like, "Wow!" So he sees it. <laughs> he saw it. He was the first person that saw it and went, "Let's do a show." I was already. I was going to put these drawings into a book and my first book, but I was afraid that I was going to put them out there and I was going to make a fool of myself because I'd never had any opinion about them. And then, I, wow, what a blessing! So Bale did so a show. You, so you painted for how, how many? Twenty five years. years Twenty five years. But what years. the beauty of it, and the reason I did it, was because it's a notebook. I, I only drew in notebooks because most of my life, my music, my songs, everything, it was putting myself out there in this way that could be shot down. And I was just like, I, you know, eventually I just got tired of being shot down and like that. It's a, it's not abusive. It's, it's, diff, it's a challenge. Yeah. You know what I mean? Abusive. It's like, and so drawings are fantastic because you don't, no one can see them. They're for me. They're for um, capturing a moment there. And it, the reason I started drawing again was because there were days when I wasn't creative traveling and i feel like as a creative you need to be creative every fucking day like do it every day something make something you're like a buddhist uh I'm like well, a monk i like buddhism <laughs> <laughs> buddhism is actually was my change it was like if you're gonna <laughs> do this monk, if man. you're gonna do this do it don't fuck around this is not a joke it's not a joke we're, we're i'm serious about this thing so do it every day. So when I'm on the, it started when I was on the road, just drawing, but I could close the notebook and I didn't have to worry about what other people thought. It was just for me. And so it took me a long time to get where I felt like I had something to Get share. everything by wanting nothing. Exactly. <laughs> Seriously. Totally, totally. Don't want, don't want it. Don't want it so hard. You want it. And, and it was great. It's good. And so now it's a big part of my life drawing and then opening up to, Oh, like this, this book is full of photographs and I'm not like I, in the forward of the book or the preface or whatever. It's like, I don't consider myself a photographer, but I like to take pictures. And these are done with Polaroids where you have no, uh, there's no manipulation. There's no manipulation. It is what it is. There's no, and these, these are not toned or anything. They're just what it is. We scanned them straight up. And to me, they're wow. like, to me, they're like drawings. And it's lightweight. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. It's cheaper. It's lighter than guitars. And uh, so to me, it's all the same, but it's-, it's What is that? That's a bull that's on the side of a wall. Yeah. It's out, that's out in uh, Valentine, Texas. So, but it's, to me, it's all the same thing. Drawing, music, songs, writing. It's all the same thing. And how did, I guess, the, I think your question was, how did I get here? Yeah. like I got bored. I, what I meant by how did you get here is from being growing up in Brenham yeah, and having a great childhood or whatever mm -hmm. and falling in love with Lyle and falling in love with folk singers. Yeah. Guy in towns. Guy in towns. And being within an age group to where you weren't that far removed from that. No, it was very real. And then how did you... How did you figure out, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, that's such a singular thing. Like, and I'm, I'm song in that being world. a songwriter. Like, yes. Like I am in that world where I go, yeah. I am a songwriter. Mm -hmm. I'm a performer, but I'm a songwriter first. Right. And boom, that's where we're going all the time. To, to, to end up being a multi 
talented artist with paintings and drawings right. and photographs. It's like, wow. I always thought it was really fucking hard to do one of those. It is. <laughs> uh, partly it's boredom. I get bored really easy. The other is hunger in that um, I, if if I had been massively successful at one thing, I'd probably still be doing that one thing. I was successful enough to work, but not so much that I didn't uh, uh, need to keep fishing, <laughs> keep looking around. Right. Like what, and also I believe, and I discovered this for myself, uh, God, probably, I don't know. I don't remember, don't remember what I, I was probably in my 30s where I just realized that, that most musicians and artists are more talented than their one medium. Like most people have, most people really have a couple of mediums in them. Yeah, but. And so then it's But they also time. realize how hard it is to yeah, hone in on being medium. really good at one thing. Right. And uh I don't know. I just, I probably maybe like a friend of mine years ago said, you know, if you would just do one thing, you might be more successful. And I was like, yeah, but I don't really want to do that. I think that's you. I don't really want to do that. And also, you know, there's a couple of key uh, uh, role models that I don't know. I mean, I know kind of, you know, what the biggest one is for me is Tom Waits. So I don't know Tom Waits. David Byrne's a big fan. David Byrne, in a way, um, ish. I mean, I love, you know, he's just how he's. And he's all over the place. And he's doing drawings now. His drawings are amazing. Um, Why Tom Waits? Like Tom Waits, because Tom Waits, well, first off, I love Tom Waits' songs. Yes. So Tom Waits, and then he began writing. He's always been in theater. He's always done theater, but you never knew about it. Oh, like you never heard about it. Neighborhood theater kind of stuff? Yeah, and then he began writing. He and Kathleen Brennan began writing. And so I always they, thought that was a publishing. No, no, no. Trick. Kathleen Brennan, that's his wife. And so, no, I know, but I always no, no, no. thought she it was him a, going. No, no, hey. that's a writer thing. And uh, so she's a they, stud. They're collaborators. Yes, they're massive collaborators. That's great. So, but they have all these shows that they're constantly working with Robert Wilson and 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 doing theater productions. Most of them happening in Europe, uh, like reworking Shakespeare. And reworking, so writing the songs. Alice, the record Alice came from the reworking of Alice in Wonderland. Um, so he's always working in the theater. He's done acting. He's done, uh, you know, all these things. So he's he's moving out and broadening where he can work. By doing that, it allows him to dip in and out. While one thing's going, he'll dip over here. And and I just, I saw that and I was like, okay, that's that's a great. And then, of course, Terry Allen. To yeah, me, is, is the is the from a Texas sort of southwestern thing. He is the he's Mount Rushmore as far as uh, being uh, in different mediums and creating uh, a and unique, just always unique, being open, always being open, being very very good at the mediums. So yeah. he's an amazing just drawing. He's incredible. He's a, he's his songs are great. He's he's has his vision. He makes great. He does plays. And I remember interviewing. Him. I went to his studio one time and interviewed him for this documentary I was doing. And and he had these stations set up in his studio. You've been there in, in Santa Fe. I've been there, but I I'm Did not you go familiar with this. So in the no. studio there were these stations set up. There were these tables, and I think they were on casters, so he could bunch them together. And he had this huge, like two thousand square foot studio or whatever. So he had one station that was songs, and it was all these pieces of paper all over this table, and you know, like stuff. And he's working on the lyrics. This other station had drawings, and I think they were like charcoals. 
And then another station had a paintings. And then this over in the corner, there was a bed that was suspended from the ceiling with all these big scrims hanging around it. And I was like, what is this? And he was describing, I said, what's that over there? And he goes, ah, oh, that's this, this uh, theater production. Joe Harvey and I are doing this premiering in Lyon, France. And, you know, I was like, wow, man, he's like on it. And, you know, we talked for about an hour and a half and he looked at his watch. He goes, well, I tell you, man, I got, I got stuff to do. I got to get back to work. I was like, wow, here's a guy. He's what, probably late 60s, 70s at that time. I got to work, man. I got to go. He's not messing around. And I was like, okay, that's the, that's the thing. That is the thing. And so that how that you, reminds me of you. That, so stay funny. working. Stay working. And also, I really, um, I, I don't want to be the same as I was when I was in, you know, 30. Yeah, who does? Who does? Like, you know, it was like, and I don't want to be singing. I don't even, I, like some of my songs are like old friends. You know, songs are great. You know, your songs that people want to hear and they're like old friends you know you keep them around you invite them to the party and but i don't want to only go to that one party <laughs> yeah let's say you don't want to bring them to every party i don't want to take them to every party <laughs> and i don't want to only do that and um i like having like there's a whole part of my life that's based around sort of songwriting as service yeah which is the whole songwriting with soldiers thing came from that and you know lately, tell me about that man Yeah, like, lately i've been doing it with frontline healthcare workers and it's it's oh, a, you have been? Yeah. Yeah. The go last, back. For the last year. Okay. So before, because there's a lot of things that you do. Right. That you can skip over. Mm -hmm. So songwriting with soldiers. Yeah. What is that? What has that <clears throat> been? How did that start? What is that? Songwriting with soldiers came about. I was already doing sort of work with, uh, I was already using songwriting as a way to help other people tell stories. And that, that was happening in, um, a situation like at a homeless shelter in Newark, New Jersey. I was working with kids there, like teenagers. I was working with, uh, um, you know, uh, Israeli-Palestinian groups and stuff like that, bringing them together, getting disparate people to come together and write a song. And at the homeless shelter, I discovered trauma about, about how to move trauma through songwriting, which is what we do. And we know, we know it. We do it for ourselves. We tell our stories. And these painful sometimes stories happen and it, it sort of, we free it somehow yeah. in a song. And, and if you're writing with somebody and they're hurting and you're doing a co-write and they, you really write a song that's their story, mm -hmm. do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. They feel fantastic. Barely I know what you're talking yeah, about because well, I'm so narcissistic. Well, mostly people are doing it for you. <laughs> anyway, but... <laughs> but uh, but and then I, I and then yeah. I met these veterans and I was I met these veterans over in Germany. I met this guy, this one guy's Marine named Fred Kale. And I was like, wow, man, what if we wrote a song about that? And I had this idea that it basically it was this untapped, I call it a song field. It's an untapped song field. No one was writing songs, and I'm sure people had done it before, but there's lots of songs written about veterans. And there's lots of songs written for veterans, mm -hmm. like in honor of- But not from. Not with. With. Like write it with them, collaborate, make them the collaborator <laughs> and use it as a way to tell these stories, which are great, but it also it processes their trauma. Mm -hmm. and, and then I just started, I got into it. And then uh, Radney and I wrote Angel Flight, 
Yeah, that came which is out fantastic. Of Thank you. And that was commissioned by the National Guard. And, uh, you know, I was at Radney's house and how Radney got involved, which he saved the song, basically. Uh, and then, so it made it possible to do that. And then I just, with a, with a friend of mine, we started this nonprofit that was based on bringing civilian songwriters together with military vets and their families Mm -hmm. to write songs and i did that for eight and a half years i don't do it anymore but you I, don't i'm not a part of the organization anymore why uh we had a change we had a difference of opinion and i decided to you know move on you were right I, it was time for me to go everything else it works out exactly how it's supposed to work out even though like it's like losing a record deal oh my god talk about painful yeah, oh my and God, really, and, oh, my life is going to fall apart. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. You know, you go going or you don't. It's like, that's how it's supposed to work out. If it was supposed to be different, if we were all supposed to be somewhere else, we'd be there. Yeah. You know? I've and, thought about you a couple of times when I've seen these other organizations yeah. take the forefront, which is fantastic. It's all good. So man. it makes sense now. It's all good. And, but, you know, here's the thing. What I learned about that was that songs – or magic. And Mary Gauthier talks about this. Mary and I are really good friends. She talks about it. Um, Mary Gauthier. G-A-U-T-H-I-E-R. I-E-R. Not E-I-R. No. I always fucked up. I have before you. Anyway, whatever. Except for C. Except for C. And yeah, and in bananas. Anyway, but, you know, she talks, songs are magic. And what we do is our like stock and trade that we understand as songs to most people, they have no idea what that is about. When you put words and melody and emotion together with a structure and a chorus that maybe someone could sing along, it is, it is so powerful. And, yeah. And that thing, is, and so I had changed my life doing that work. It taught me so much about how to be a better person. How was that? What was that like? Hooking up with some dude who's just a enlisted guy who got fucked up in in the military right. and and to see that light go on where they're like it's unbelievable oh my god yeah so it's incredible <laughs> this is magic a couple of things that i i was always uh in, within that work is that first off never call them heroes no <laughs> never call them heroes because they, they don't they don't they actually most of them don't want that and don't put them on a pedestal and don't pity them so what yeah, you man, want to come out like of straight one on one? What's your deal? Yeah, and and you know, avoid all uh, pandering. Number one. Uh, also, and then and then when you actually see someone light up, and you've 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 actually punctured through, and you've gotten them to speak something that's really true, which is done by listening, not by speaking. <laughs> you listen, let them talk, you ask questions, mm -hmm. and then you sing that back to them. It is the most profound thing, man. It is, it just like, I just, I, you know, and here's the other thing I really learned, you know, it's like um, Radney and I were in a room one time. We were there and there's 12 guys in this room. And at one point, and we were writing songs, we were going to write songs with all 12 of them at once. <clears throat> and I said, I just leaned over to Radney. I said, no, man, remember that we're the only people in the room who hasn't taken someone's life. And a couple of them actually dug it. It was the peak emotional experience of their life. Now, our job is to love them, not judge them. Love them. If we love them for who they are in this moment, 
irrespective of what we think about anything. It doesn't matter what we think. Our job is to love them. If we do that, we can get something done here. And that practicing that thing in my life, using songs has completely changed how I look at uh, life. I'm still, I still have opinions about people, but it's opened me up to the possibility of uses. Everybody uses in this for room has taken somebody's life. life. Some multiple times. Yeah, man. And I've worked with, God, that's, and, and that's a very judgment. You can, you can, you can find all kind of judgment. It's, there's it's, no judgment it's e there, but just, no, but it's easily accessible. That's an easily accessible judgment in our culture, in culture, in religion. It goes against every, you know, spiritual ethical thing that I was raised with. At the same time, I love these guys. They're awesome. They're fantastic. And when I had a situation where it was like a, I needed a crunch, I needed, a, I, I had a crisis. I needed a different kind of perspective on my own life. Who did I call? I called these veterans. <laughs> Dude, I got something going on. Like, can you explain what just happened to me and how is this going to work? Da, da, da. Those are the guys that I call. And I still have this, some of my, I mean, one, a couple of them in particular. It's like I got lifelong friends and they did things in their life that I never would have, I, I haven't had. Well, when they do those things, it's not a judgment. It's no, not. No, it's no, not no. a. It's not about um, integrity or no, or right or wrong. It's it's, it's about thing. necessity. Yeah, it's like here's what we're here to do, right. and if you're here to do this, yeah. So <laughs> then yeah, that's what right. you do. And so what that whole experience led me to do with which is in, it it sort of COVID, came into, huh? COVID. It's just a touch, and. Uh, but it's cold. It, uh, yeah, uh, it's cold. Takes it away. It takes it away. That's right. People think that's water as well, which is cool. Which is I'm totally saying that's that is some sanitary. That's a sanitizer. <laughs> anyway, that is. Um, it 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 that work showed me the power of truth. So what are you doing? And and in how that we world. should we should do we should do like we should in our work in this work in our songs and our books and whatever go for truth man just tell the truth everything else is bullshit everything else we did that already we did that if you know some of us we all do it to get where we are now now we've on the, we're on the other side of like the peak and we come down into the valley and we come back you know on this side of that valley go for truth truth is always. It, it's what wins in songs. It's aren't. always one for me. It, yeah. But the funny part, not the funny part, but. Hey was, there, Mr. Tin Man. I mean, you talk about true. That's like. Well, that's the thing. Is like Especially the chorus. Has, ooh, ooh, ooh. That's the truth. That's like some <laughs> truth. That's the truth, man. If you say nothing, <laughs> that, that is, is the, the truth. truth. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just go, oh. <laughs> but it is funny, like. The tr they say the truth will set you free and all it that, does. all the all the cliches. <clears throat> but the fact is, I think more about it when when I think about shows and talking in between songs and making jokes and and setting up stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that every time I've ever told the truth, everybody says, "Oh, you can't say that. You'll get in trouble. You can't do this. You'll get in trouble. You can't." you'll get canceled in today's world. And I'm like, nope. If you tell the truth, it resonates. It, it, it resonates. And yeah, there's it may always make people <clears throat> pissed off, but you'll, you, you don't get in trouble for the truth. No, no, you don't. 
and uh, it's, it could be it can be problematic, but that's usually the situation. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like it's the way to go. And I look around at musicians and artists that I admire, that I still listen to, who've listened to for years, and new ones that are coming up. And they're always the ones that are the they're telling the truth. <clears throat> that's all you know, they do. That's all they do. They tell the truth. I mean, there's some there's some artists that that have that other talent where they're not telling the truth. They're building And they're so good story. at it. And they're <laughs> great at it. And that's a different truth. <laughs> yeah, and that's fantastic. Well, look at Bowie. Yeah. So David Bowie was like, you know, it was like, which part of that was true and what wasn't? It doesn't matter because the umbrella was true. Tom Waits is the same. It's all like an act, but the umbrella is true. I love, so I saw this thing called Fishing with John one Yeah, time. totally. With, with him and John. <laughs> <laughs> and he got seasick. Yeah. And as soon as he got seasick, all the act was gone. Yeah, yeah. He was like, give me the fuck off this boat now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not, <laughs> not messing around. This is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> I it was like an it was a it was an eye-opening moment for me watching Tom Waits lose the shtick. Yeah. And go, get me the fuck home. Yeah, right. And I was like, oh good, he's yeah. real. Yeah, one of the best <laughs> things I ever heard was was him uh, interviewed on uh, Fresh Air, Terry Gross. And he did voice voice his voice warm ups, and Terry Gross said, "You do voice exercises." <laughs> yeah, what kind of voice warm ups do you? So anyway, yeah. What next, Jack? Man, this is the part of the conversation that I've always loved with you. Is that that's why I call you late at night? Yeah. Is that I just really love picking your brain. I love the way you think. I love the way you, the way you act. You're authentic. I go for that. I try for that. I try that. It's like, because, you know. What was it like growing up? No, don't, oh, don't give me some bullshit. Don't, what was it like growing up? Like, yeah. It was were awesome, you like man. a country club kid or? Uh, my parents, you know, lived in Brenham. So the idea of country club is Brenham is, is a, it's a rough one. But no, uh, yeah, my dad was a, he, my dad ran a savings and loan in Brenham. So uh, we moved there when I was like, I don't know, I was born there. Somebody, they moved there when, before I was born. But then we, I lived in the country. I, you know, my, we had, it wasn't a farm, but we had cows and chickens and things like that. And uh, it was idyllic. It was like a hundred acres, you know, in the middle of Washington County in Texas. It was and that, that was the, how they, he made a living? He made a living at uh, running as a savings and loan. Savings and loan, yeah. So and, uh, was it a, <clears throat> it was a ranch? It wasn't. A, I had a, he had a job, but he had a job, was, but we had a place different. in the country. We had a place in the country that we lived in because lived he was on. so successful. Like you know, no, Texas, he got it for really cheap. You, <clears throat> he got it. You for make really a cheap. really a lot of money. No, 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 and no. And then no. you buy a ranch. No, no, no. He he got it because uh, a woman, uh, the woman who had owned it for ever, uh, she was. You, she came into the savings loan one day and she says, "I'm looking to sell my farm, my piece of land." And he goes, how much do you want for it? And she, he t she said a number, and he goes, I'll take it. So cool. it was just this amazing opportunity that he said, I'll But it I'll sounds take like it. they were pretty badass. Like, how did you think that you could make a living or uh, make, well, a, make they a did life not, out They of did music? not want me to be a musician. See, that was they. So I grew but up. But all these things that you have, well, all these. Well, they, 
um, what they told, you know, this, this theory about my, you know, it didn't, my mom was sweet. She was a wonderful, wonderful woman, but, uh, she was, she was much more conservative as far as how you live your life and straight ahead. And she wasn't, these were depression kids. Okay. Depression kids. So it wasn't about risk. It was about mitigating risk. But my dad said, never worry about money. Don't worry about money. There's not a lot of people that say, don't worry about money. It'll well, take care of itself. You know, there was, so did that come from his his dad or his dad's dad? I think it or? came from his I think it came from his dad, where he uh there was this thing, just work. Just go to work and don't let your expenses get ahead of your income. They were cash people, you know. And uh but then uh, my dad was like, you know, you got, I, I, you know, I didn't grow up starving. You know, I grew up, my dad had a job, you know, so, uh, but there wasn't so much money that we didn't have to work. You know, mm -hmm. you still had to work. And I worked when I moved to, when I moved from Brenham, which was this idyllic, you know, like, you know, fishing and hunting and, you know, the whole thing and playing Wasn't guitar. that idyllic? You were a fuck up. That was when I moved to Houston. When I moved to, when I moved away from Brenham, that's when things went south for me from that yeah, standpoint. Fuck you. But it was also that was also when I was just I was I feel I feel like that part of my life was when I was breaking free. I was a different I was a different kid. I heard voices when I was a kid. I was always different. I was different different than what do you mean else. you heard voices? I heard voices. Like I really heard voices when I was a kid. And um, so you're schizophrenic. Just a touch. I got a touch but, of this. But it's, but it's like, he's a good guy. He he's really a, is. He's he's good. Like I hear voices, but he says I'm nice a, things. Listen, I'm a fun bunch of guys. Uh, but uh, no, but, but, and so that. What do you mean you heard voices? I mean, I, mean, I, I heard things and when I was a kid. So. Um, like what kind of things? Like uh, just like other voices, Jack. It's like, it's hard for me to describe it, but it was. Um, describe it. It was like, like you'd be walking along and I would hear things. I'd be walking around in the woods and I would hear shit. Like what? Like voices, like words, words and stories. And I'd go, oh, you know, it was weird. But I did, I wasn't scared by it at the time. Scary for thinking about it more than at the time. It was great, you know? So I was joking before, making, like laughing about it. But that is possibly. That is po interesting. Possibly, like, but it went away. Why? Well, I, I don't know why it went away, but but I do know that it, it also, there's a couple of things from that time in my life. First off, I'm I'm never lacking for story. I always have stories going on in my head. I always mm -hmm. have like a thing. I can come up with like where it comes out as a song or this or something. It's there. Yeah. But then also my time as a child, um, and this was all like before eighth grade, um, of being in the woods and being in the country walking, just being in nature, walking around. Mm -hmm. I always I was I was very comfortable being lost. Mm -hmm. I was very comfortable uh talking to myself. Because I was alone a lot of that time because my older brothers and sisters, we lived down the country. And then, uh, but I was, I would be lost in the woods, but I always knew where home was. Mm -hmm. So traveling as a musician, very comfortable in cities that I've never been to or cities like, you know, I can walk across London, like no map, like walk across New York, Paris, whatever. It's like, yeah, you'll find your way back home. I can find my way back home. It's like, I know, I know North, like I know North, South, I can look at shadows. And so that was great. And then, um. Yeah, it was a, it was a great it was great. I learned how to work hard. So my work ethic comes from being a kid and growing up in the country. I had chores and cows and chickens and all that stuff. And <clears throat> I learned how to make money when I was young. How? Egg business. And I raised cattle. 
Oh, so you knew like yeah, I knew you, one yeah. plus one equals two. Yeah, and I knew that, okay, that's really great, but you still have to pay the feed, man. I had my checking account when I was in the third grade, yeah. you know. And uh, But then when I lived in Houston, I um, had an odd jobs business that I – that was my brother's first and then so did you miss the country like is that i did is that, that get you off track? i did at that era i really missed it we like what kind of this. drugs did like what was that about oh at first it was just trying to fit in but i started drinking really young too i started drinking in like the seventh grade <clears throat> it was washington county so everyone drank but uh washington was, county I, like outside brenham, of houston brenham no but when you moved to houston you uh, said, then we moved we moved to kingwood but that's that when you different. started. I was drinking, but I was drinking before I, I I went there. But then I got way off the deep end when I was in high school. Did you go to programs or did you just? No, I went to football it. practice. <laughs> That'll work. No, uh, no, <laughs> I just I was just able to keep it together until I wasn't. Until I wasn't able to keep it together, and then it was like obviously I had a problem, and I started to get it together. And then I saw a friend wrap a, a car around a tree. But you drink now. You have it under yeah. control yeah, now. I now. Yeah, well, I well I two things happened. Uh, I had, saw a friend wrap his car around a tree, uh, and that was with two of my friends in it in the car. They didn't die, but the pine tree missed them by four inches. <laughs> uh, that scared the shit out of me, and I actually saw the car and everything. And then I got kicked out of school when I was a senior for drugs and alcohol, um, and that made me realize that all that stuff is really fun, but it will ruin your life. And it, that was this key moment where other friends of mine, because we partied so hard, other friends of mine were starting to go off the edge, mm -hmm. started losing verbal skills. <laughs> I saw a friend of mine lose his verbal skills. And I was like, wow, what's happening to his brain? And I was like, that's not cool. And um, then friends got thrown in jail, prison. And I was like, this is like really not any fun anymore. And I was like, okay. By the time I was, went to college, freshman, I was trying to get sober. I was trying to clean up my life. So that I could, because I, I, I like to drink everything, but I don't want to smoke pot, you know, that stuff. It's like, I, I want to be able to enjoy it, but I don't want it to run me. Yeah. So I just forcibly got a grip. And, you know, it's like, yeah, it's a moving target. But Has it been that way ever since? Yes. Like you yeah, just, so. you've always. Yeah, I, I don't like to be complete. I, I, I love to be out of control. That's the thing that I, when I was a kid and the being in the country and the hearing voices, that thing, whatever mm -hmm. that thing is to me, that's art. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, that's art. And so that's what I was pursuing in high school, and that's what I was pursuing with alcohol and drugs. I didn't know how to do it without it being damaging. Um, I was just going at it from that sort of intense level. I didn't, I just didn't understand. Now it's like I want that same out-of-body uh, yes, sort of man. drifting thing that you get when you write a song and you, you lose track of time and you look up and you go, Oh my God. Or you're like on stage and well, you just or, don't even know where you or are. I'm drawing or I'm writing and, or I'm making videos now. It's like all this thing. And it's like, you get out of your, so how do I get that space? How do I get into that space? Sort of cross over that edge and get close to the state, like really right on that edge, but be able to come back the next day and feel really good and yeah. do it again. And that way I have to keep that other stuff in check. Does that make sense? Uh, but that absolutely. pursuing, and that's what I mean by like <clears throat> looking at people like Rodney and Roseanne and, uh, you know, Tom Waits or Terry Allen, they are able to, they've set up a life that's functions within several businesses or several, uh, several tracks, but they're able to access the edge. Oh, yeah. 
on a consistent level and because they're they've been doing it long enough their craft is at a certain level when they access that edge it's like damn good yeah so that's what i want i want to maintain i want to access that edge as often as possible for as long as i can yeah. and if i do that where i get from my dad if i do that i think that we uh, i think that artists are put here for a reason and if we maintain that edge and that level of craft and honesty the world will give us what we need so we'll make the money that we need like that i don't worry about yeah. that I, I you know you i go a, there's a role that you're yeah you're servicing money's a beautiful thing it's like it's a good thing we're not carrying rocks right but it's like don't service that if you serve this and you know, there's times comes and goes, you know, but it's like, but if you keep serving this edge and do it smart and keep everything together, the return, world, the, world. return the phone calls, you know, but it's like, no, <laughs> I'm not, that's not a personal thing, Jack. Hey man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, Why are you saying, gonna I'm shit not, me? I, I didn't mean to turn it around there, but, uh, <laughs> but things will fall it, into, man. things will fall into place. They do. But chasing that at a certain point, if you chase that, this edge disappears and you, you keep, you don't, and we all have friends that are impersonating themselves. Oh yeah. And this Which edge becomes, this edge becomes a mystery. And I don't want that to become a mystery. I want that to be the real thing that every day I wake up and it's like, let's go. Yeah, and today, that- and today it's drawing. Today it's making a video. Today it's writing a song. Today it's like all these things. Yeah. And I know we're, I think we're running out of time, but I really am interested. It's a good in, song title. What? Running out of time. Okay. It's my so new, for, it's my so new single. Part, we're going <laughs> to write this song. <laughs> no, it's my new single. But it is funny to, to be so good at one part of that aspect, songwriting. Mm-hmm. And to know what it takes to be that great, that good, whatever. Yeah. At that. Mm-hmm. And then to change mediums, that's what is interesting to me about you. One of the things that's interesting is, is that I've spent a lifetime trying to be as good as I am at this. I have interests in other mediums, but man, to go through that learning curve again, to be viable, <clears throat> to be for real. Like, I know what it took to get here right. as a songwriter and as an artist and to be a sculptor or right a visual art. Like, you know, I, I do things with a guitar sometimes mm-hmm. and I'm like, ah, I'm not going to show them for anybody. Like, it's, it's not up to par. I think removing that concept of par is, a, is the way to start. I think removing the concept of viability is is that that's a that's a judgment idea and close the notebook like do it in a notebook where no one sees and just it's just about showing up practicing the craft whatever craft it is whether it's you know fly fishing tying flies you know it's like you gotta you gotta start barksdale yeah barksdale it's like he's tying flies it's like he's just doing it he's just showing up and and doing it without like expecting like 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 the visual art for me like well, like, if we could talk about just Western skies, okay. This what this so there's an album, dunk, 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 and a book, okay, and a Western book. Skies. <laughs> Western skies, yeah. but okay. So Western skies, there's an album and a book and a series of lithographs, 
that are, are you know. So it's like, but none. I, I didn't. I was. I didn't set out to make a record. I didn't set out to write a book. What I set out to do it was like you know 2020. I just wanted to write some songs, so I started writing songs, and then I started taking. I was doing these drives back and forth to Arizona. I was still doing stuff with songwriting with soldiers. Mm-hmm. And I found this Polaroid camera in the garage. I just started taking pictures. It was just something to do. And I fell in love with it. And then I was writing these essays. While I was out driving, I would you know, write essays. The shit you were interested just in shit at the I was time. Interested, man. And I was just like going, how do I take a better picture? How do I make drawings around this? How do I write songs? I wasn't writing songs about the pictures or taking pictures about the songs. It was just this thing. I was just pursuing this stuff. After doing, and it wasn't like I thought I, after my last record, I didn't think I would ever make another album because it's like, why? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I went, oh, they fall together. They, they work together. So I think pursuing it at a certain point, you, you know, you're going to, you'll do something. You know, like, you know, we'll, we make things. We make it, whether it's songs, records, whatever, we make things. Just pursue your thing without worrying about par, right? without worrying about viability. It'll be viable-ish, or it won't. And don't show those people. Don't show that stuff. Right. Or even if it is viable, like, you know, it's like you can make that judgment. Some people, they make records they shouldn't make. They show, they do things they shouldn't do because it's not really up there. Just because you do it doesn't mean you have to show everybody. That's right. And there's a certain joy that is, uh, that is, a certain joy is required, I think, in our life as artists, because there's, there's, there's like massive amounts of pain and rejection. So you better find something that you get joy out of. And sometimes that joy is what you show other people. Sometimes it's just like this thing I do, it just makes me super happy. And it's this creative thing. That's the final frontier for me. I, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> to do th- to do things without the uh without the hope or hint of reflection of return a return of reflection return. Of, like to do things it's that's tough for me like right. when, when i write a song i want to play it for you right well so that so that you can say how great but it is but that's your magic that's your magic so i can say how great it is well, yeah. So you can, get or a, I can yeah. gauge your you get a return. I can gauge your return, right? Like, where I can go, I played you that song. Yeah, what? you didn't Respond. love it as right. much as I thought right. you would love it. It must be wrong. I, let me go fix it. Yeah, like there's not a thing. Not wrong with that, but it's just, but it, it is, is, but it is yeah. beauty. It's beautiful to think that you could make something. That's the mm. goal is to make something without without that the expectation of return. And go, yeah, I think that's craft. I think that's where craft just working on craft comes up. Just write the song. First write the first like just write the songs or do the drawing or take the picture. Just take the picture because it it's like it you gets you on. You know, it gets you excited. It's like, you know, you Yeah, it makes you want to paint yeah. the next picture. And so and what happens is you do like a ton I mean, you know, I'm sure you write I'm sure you write some bad songs. Never. Really? Never. Really? Let's talk about truth. Let's just talk about honesty. Let's just like no. Uh, but I, you you do that stuff. Never, my mom's yeah. never been naked in her life. <laughs> well, <laughs> not what I remember. I, 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 <laughs> there was once anyway. Uh, but uh, uh, 
But doing that, thing, but it's like just just doing those things, being willing. I tell people when I'm doing doing songwriting workshops or whatever, which I don't do a whole lot of. It's like first off, be willing to write bad songs. Be willing yeah. to do bad stuff. Be willing to for it to not be perfect, and then you'll get closer to perfect. But if you're not willing for it to suck, that's the edge. That's a yeah. risk. That's a risk. If you don't know what sucks, exactly, you can't man. Know perfect. And so be willing to do that, and be willing to go. Ah, that's fucking awful. I mean, how many times have you you know like you sit down and you write a song with Gary Nicholson? And he'll tell you the stories about, oh man, I was here with Scotty, whatever, da da da. da. We had three of the best songwriters in Nashville. We looked at that song was terrible, man. I wrote a song with Paul Williams one time. Me I wrote a song with Paul Williams. It was awful. This is Mr. Rainbow Connection. This is the dude. It was so bad. And we both laugh about it now, how bad our song was. It was the best day. It was one of the most amazing right. experiences of my life. So the day was not about writing a hit song. The day was about hanging out with Paul Williams, which yeah. the song just got me in the room. Yeah. So that to me is, is remembering like, I don't think we're put on the planet necessarily to get acclaim. I think we're put on the planet to work and do our work. And when we do that, the possibility of more acclaim is there. You do that thing and you'll find it at the time and way that you're supposed to. Am I boring you? No, I, no, <laughs> my mind. No, really, you're not boring. No, me it's. At all. I think it's. And you look around at people. Oh, I think it's funny how I think about that, and I go, "Yeah, claim." That's yeah. a funny thing. Like a claim for me is about justifying what I do. When I get a claim. When I get nominated for a Grammy, which I have. Yeah, I, I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> yeah, right. Or an ACM award or whatever. Yeah. A you claim is those. always about buying time. Buying time. What do you mean? Like, I don't have to justify. I don't have to explain uh, why I'm doing this. Because this outside source has said, Jack, y'all need to leave Jack alone for a while. Said, You're good. <laughs> You can do this. And I go, see? I told you. That's and why I didn't go to the grocery store yesterday. <laughs> that's right. And so <laughs> that's what a claim is for me. That's yeah. what fame is. That's what that's what all of that stuff yeah. is. Is like is just buying me time to be left alone. Yeah. You know, I, we were on the phone. You and I were on the phone about a week ago. And we were talking. And you asked me what it like what I was working for. I forget exactly how you, but it was like, I, I thought about it. It was like in, out of the, no, I just, I didn't even think about it. It was like freedom. It's like freedom, which is basically your thing of time. I just want more freedom <laughs> when nobody hassles me. Like, you know, so like during, like during the pandemic, it's weird to say this. I'm not the only person that said this, but I kind of dug it because I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have to go do I didn't have to go anywhere. I couldn't leave the house. And you know, the, the peak for me was when I actually got COVID. I had doctor's orders for my family to leave me alone. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you can't come in the room. I'm quarantined. <laughs> I'm quarantined. And I had the most amazing week. I felt like shit. I don't remember everything. Right? You never felt guilty for not getting I up? I did not feel guilty. I was in bed all day working, all day. I, I, and I was like, it's ama it was amazing. It was like this. But it was like, that's what I want as I get old. So I'm turning 60 
So I'm now I'm trying to think about what do I want when I'm 70? And then what do I want when I'm 80? Yeah, we got 20 years left. 20 more years left. I want more and more freedom. Say I got to have the economics to make it work, but it's like I want more and more freedom that's not involved and not doesn't revolve only around a guitar in a case going around a, a baggage carousel in some city. You know, it's like, absolutely. it's like, I, I want to do that. I love it. But it's like, how do I also create this other thing that actually lights me up? Because a lot of what I do, other people don't want, they, they look at that, like the songwriting in service of other people. A lot of people go, that's weird. That is weird. You know, I happen to really dig it. And so how do I do more of that? Because it's what I dig. You know, there's a lot of different meters. A long time ago, in 99, I did a symphony. I remember with that. the Austin Symphony. Okay, I got commissioned to do the symphony. It was like, and I don't even read music. So it was, talk about pushing boundaries. It was way out there for me. The One of the percussionists in this symphony, who was an older guy, he was probably in his 70s. He was a teacher. He came up to me on the second night of the symphony before we started, but we, he and I were the first people at the theater. And he said, you know, this has been an amazing experience. He goes, I heard you describe yourself as a songwriter the other day. He goes, I'd like to invite you to think of yourself as a musician. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you were only a songwriter, we wouldn't be doing a symphony. Right. I, there would be no need for me. He goes, you're a musician. You have created this thing. That's music. It's not songwriting. Yeah. And it was like, he's not negating writing songs. He's saying, open the blinders up. Yeah. Open, the, open the aperture of what you define. And then it's real freeing. It's very freeing because like, yeah, I do all these kinds of things. You know, so I, I don't, when people ask me what I, what I do, like I don't say songwriter anymore. What do you say? Musician? Artist. 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 Yeah, you no, are. Artist. I'm it's an artist. I do like, these things, but I'm an artist. The, 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 those musicians that are in symphonies, they read music. They read music. And they're fantastic at it. Yeah. But if you play them a new song, like, hey, man, I just wrote this. Play something cool. They go, I don't do that. It's hard for them. And so I, I understand where they go, hey, man, you're a musician because I've entered, you're creating uh, something that I couldn't play. Right. Unless you were here. Right. I had to. And, and it, was, it was a very fascinating thing because it's like in Peter Bay at the time, the conductor, uh, he said, I said, what did you think about it? He goes, well, half the people loved it and half the people hated it. He goes, that's really good. Yeah. Awesome. Hates, hates good. Hates okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah. But uh, I just think it's it like opening up that thing of what you do, because that's the interesting people. The interesting people are out there. The people who have this broad thing, they may not be the most famous but they have, they can, you can make a great living. I mean, look at the film business. The film business is full of these very eccentric people with this broad span of creativity. The camera guys, the makeup people, all these people, they have these massive, and they're, they're, fantastic. So, they're amazing. Yeah. And the camera guy is probably, maybe he's a painter. You know, they, they're really good. They may or may not be known or whatever, but they, they paint. Mm-hmm. Herb Alpert. Herb Alpert's career is pretty fantastic. If you look at a role model, great musician. He also ran a record label, A and M. And oh, he did. Albert and Moss. <laughs> he started. He started A and M. I mean, he, our, he. Yeah, he was A and M. He signed the Police. He signed Cat Stevens. He signed the Carpenters. He signed all those people all, across the board. And but 
he's also an amazing painter and a sculptor, like make these massive sculptors. He doesn't do it to sell. He doesn't, I don't think he sells his stuff, but he's an amazing painter. And his thing is like, well, yeah, I got this thing. If you got the thing and you don't use it, what a ripoff. Yeah, man. What a ripoff. I remember Chris Tofferson said that, forget his favorite poet, but basically like if you if you find what you're here on this earth for and you don't use it, uh, that's going to hell. That's right. And it's also, I think it's a crime. I think it's a crime <clears throat> to have a gift and not give it. That's criminal. And you should not be able to do that. Yeah, like just listening to listening to you, listening to my buddy Todd Snyder, listening to friend, Jerry Jeff, Bruce, all the friends that we have. This earth without that talent oh, what a bummer. being shown is like, why be here? Well, I think about like a guy named like Jerry Jeff. That's why we all do what we do. Texas guys, especially. Yeah, man. And uh, all he, of us. Yeah. And I never really got into it with him who his, I, mean, I know he loved Ramblin' Jack. and and He was a folk singer, man. He was a folk singer. But yeah, like what made him go, oh, I can go make up an entire existence. I have no idea. That, 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 that part of it, I never got, I never heard. That. <laughs> he, he just made liked up an it. entire he existence. Yeah, he liked it. He, he was, he was, you know, he was a vaudeville guy in a way, like Ray Benson. They're vaudeville. I think he came from a relatively uh, conservative family. I don't know. Yeah. He played like basketball New York, in high school. Yeah, swam. You know, Hondo, Cra swam. Hondo Crouch taught him to swim. Well, Hondo was a swimmer. I've sat in Hondo's butt cheeks at Camp Long. That's interesting. Yeah, he 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 made this swim. They call it swim bay. Oh yeah. And when the cement was drying, he sat down. Wow. And there. Yeah. And that's how I learned about a Hondo, and that's how I learned about more about Jerry Jeff. Yes. Yeah. And the guy who started the camp I was at was a guy named Tex Robinson. Mm -hmm. Robertson, who um, the swim center at UT is named yeah. after him. Yeah. Right. Anyway, all yeah. of Hondo's bits. One time I go, hey, Tex, do you know Hunter? He goes, yeah, he stole all my shit. <laughs> <laughs> like we're all, we're all the same. <laughs> That's great. Hey, so, man, thank you. Ah, pleasure is ours. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, you bet. I mean, I, I love talking to you on the phone, and I love being with you at dinners, and I love being with you just in general, but to really get to dig in. Oh, you bet. I was a, I'm grateful. And you can keep the book too. I already, already signed it to you. So you have Western to. Skies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And our single's coming out. Our song, Miles Between, is coming out. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to record this it. This week. I'm going to record it this week. Yeah. Really? I'm going to re go record it with a, with a, a, like a real recording. A real band? You're going to put a real band like on a it? Band. Not, not my band. Not, not our band. Yeah. JJ's playing drums. Oh, he was going to play on mine. For John him. Mike's playing bass. Um, is Charlie playing? No, he's he, he played with on Terry record. Allen. Yeah, so he can't do it. Uh, but it's going to be good. That's fantastic. Where are you cutting at? I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Those are the things I don't. You don't tell people that. You don't want me hanging around. No, I just well now. Well, see, if I was doing it, I would have done it that way. You don't want people like that. <laughs> the thing about me is like <laughs> I just never care where we record. I would. Oh, really? Who's producing it? Me. I guess. All right. Cool. That's great. I don't know. I just, I just always think that. Well, oh, you should do take it. Care of themselves. You should do it. If you need the lyrics, the lyrics are in this book too. If you could, I need them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you.
great.